Welcome back to the Less Doing Podcast. I'm your co-host, Nick Sonnenberg. And I'm Ari Mizell. And today we have a really special guest with us. It's actually one of my oldest friends. I've known JJK for over 20 years now. So welcome, JJ. Hey, Nick. How's it going? <laughs> Thanks for being with us today. So JJ, obviously, I know you very well. But for everyone that doesn't know you, can you just give us a bit of a background on who you are, what, what you work on, and what you're up to these days? Sure. As Nick mentioned, him and I have been friends for like a long time. Currently, uh, my partner and I, uh, my partner, Michelle Priest, we own a company called High Pressure Zone. It's a design consultancy. And with High Pressure Zone, we help companies innovate through design. So whether that's uh, very early stage companies that are struggling to bring a product to market or more mature businesses that um, you know, really want to utilize design and technology to either expand into new markets or expand their existing market share. A lot of companies, uh, I think what I'm seeing really in the marketplace is an understanding that design is, is essential to the needs of modern organizations. And um, you know, we're, helping, we're helping companies utilize it to their game. JJ and Michelle actually helped design Calvin, uh, my scheduling app. And, you know, I have a, I'll be honest. So I come from finance and I always thought that like engineering and math were the, what, what I respected and like design and marketing was like was fluff. And I had no respect for it at first. And after working with tons of designers and then working with you, it really opened my, my eyes, to be honest, to how difficult and how much strategy is involved with design. And I respect your work so much because you're not just a designer, you're a good thinker and you're strategic. And I learned the hard way with Calvin that not being strategic and making sure that you're you know, hitting the problem from the right angle at first can lead you down a rabbit hole where you waste tons of money and you could just, you know, what I, what I did with Calvin at first before engaging with you was wasted thousands of dollars just changing colors or moving, you know, ch- testing different icons where like really what we should have done was what you guys started off with, which is like, what does the user actually want? Is, am I solving a problem worth solving? You know, what are the big pain points that people want? Uh, and then uh, starting from that angle versus, you know, moving pixels or colors around. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to just wanted to say that, that I, I really, you know, for all those listening that, you know, are building apps or websites or anything like that, I'm sure that a lot of you can, can understand what I'm saying here, that you can waste a lot of money if you don't approach the problem the right way. Yeah, I mean, I think a big misconception around design is that when you're, a lot of people only talk about design, they talk about the output. And I think what you really hit on is that there's, I mean, like with any discipline that requires you know, training and your you know, skill mastery, you're always going to have like sort of your soft skill and your hard skill component of it. Like the soft skills being like what you're saying, the strategic um, component, the research, the empathy, like the clear understanding. Like I, one of the things that when I would mentor um, designers at my previous company was that you, know, you have to know what you're designing before you design it. Like simply popping up Photoshop or actually Sketch, which is kind of my daily driver for, for design these days. Like it does you no good just to pop up a blank screen and just start like making stuff. And I think to your point, um, that's where you find yourself wasting a lot of money, going around in circles, getting in arguments about like, you know, what shade of blue. I mean, there's that famous anecdote about, you know, Google famously testing 26 different shades of blue uh, to find the one that was like optimized, uh, that would, you know, optimize conversion. The point being that unless you know what you're designing, you're just going to be running around in circles. 
Um, and that's where I think a lot of businesses waste a lot of money and waste a lot of time on design because they maybe don't have experience firsthand in the strategic component of it. And so they end up buying design in the wrong way. And I think you can, if no matter what you're buying from a, from a service perspective, that's maybe outside of your, your knowledge base. I think that's a common mistake to make that there's always going to be some kind of strategic component, some kind of tactical component. If you're not familiar with the strategic component, you could end up thinking you're only buying tactical and then um, you better hope you have a strong leader in the house that can help uh, bring that project to fruition. Right. I mean, like this brings up right now, uh, R and I even like yesterday had a talk. I, we're, we're going through design iterations of the website and the website was, you know, looked like crap before. Now it's, it's a lot nicer, but now it's like, we're getting feedback. Like people don't like the gray on the website. And, you know, we're like, should we focus on that? Or should we like take a step back and think through like, what do we want people to do on the site? Like, do we want to capture emails? Do we want them to sign up for VA service? Like what should be the focal point? So like we're having, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, I might've gotten lost in the details and like gotten really stressed, like, holy shit, like people don't like gray, but now it's like, <laughs> you know, I don't give a fuck about the gray. Like let's focus first. Like what do we want to achieve on the site and work off of that? What's interesting is user feedback often comes like, User feedback sounds one way, but it's actually can a lot of times mean something else. And I think one of the hardest things for like a young designer or even people that are jumping into design, doing it themselves to some extent, is that it's really easy to react to like the, like the explicit feedback. Like people saying that they don't like gray. It might not be that they don't like gray. It might be that somehow the way that like the gray color is like working with some other colors is hurting legibility or that it's like sending the wrong message, or there could be all kinds of ways that gray, or even the, the quantity of gray, it might not even be the color gray, it just be, it might be how much gray is like hurting the user experience. And I think that's one of the really hard strategical questions to ask is like, what part of this design is impeding my user experience? Because even though my users are saying, Users aren't design critics. Like they're not going to be able to say, well, you know, the information architecture isn't quite clear, or I'm having a hard time. Uh, you know, the legibility of that sans serif font compared to the serif font is like, I, I just feel like it's less. They're not going to give you that kind of feedback. They're going to say, I don't like gray, and I think that's where having the experience of design and working with designers really comes in handy to like interpret that feedback. So is that like? That, sorry, that, that's like where your added value comes, right? Because like when you read Lean Startup, uh, you hear like get out of the building and get feedback, right? But like what you're saying is not you don't take all feedback with a grain of salt. So that's well, kind of I mean, the, it's like there's that famous uh, famous quote about you know if if I asked a if the fa Henry Ford, he said if I asked uh, if I asked people what they wanted, they would ask for a faster horse. So instead of a car. Now, people want to move quicker, so there's all kinds of ways to address that feedback, and I think you have to listen to, like, the intention, right? Like, it's much easier. People, because a lot of people don't have the experience of actually, like, thinking through a design problem, they're going to offer, like, a very quick design solution, which is remove the gray. But that might not be, you need to read the intention in that comment and then really sort of sift through all the other responses and really kind of pull from your own knowledge base of, 
of design and how it impacts people and then find a solution. And the first one might not be correct, but at least you need to find a solution that isn't just like a reaction to the, the feedback directly. Well, and, and so it's funny because there, you, you know, the story of the guy who created um, chunky um, tomato sauce for Campbell's. I'm not aware of that one. Yeah. So basically it was like that kind of user testing thing where he found out that people had this, very weird impression of what they thought they wanted and it turned out they didn't. And the, and the result of that was Campbell's, or not, I guess it wasn't Campbell's, oh, it was Progresso. Progresso, like chunky <laughs> tomato sauce, which nobody had requested, but it turned out that that's what everybody wanted. Uh, and right. it, it, same thing with like coffee. So apparently like it, it, the majority of Americans would say that they like a rich, hearty roast or a cup of coffee. But the truth is when it's actually tested, they, most Americans really like weak, milky, sugary coffee. <laughs> so it's 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 the same kind of thing. It's like you don't really know, you don't know what you want. You don't know what the possibilities are at the same time. Right, and and I think that just really comes down. That really, what you're really describing there is sort of like the chasm between those who have experience with design, like in terms of like the hard skills of actually making it and kind of understanding what goes into it and like how feedback can be interpreted in a variety of ways to achieve a result, and those who maybe their experience with design is really just on a critical side. And I think, you know, because design, the output is tangible. The output is something that everyone can see, everyone can experience. I mean, every, we, you walk around the planet, right? Like the entire human experience is designed in some way. Cities are designed, like everything is designed. So, um, you know, we, everyone who is a human is technically an expert in design because they interact with design all day long. But what they're not an expert in is really kind of taking all the like feedback and all their understanding of whatever their like approach whatever design problem they're approaching and then looking at that from a critical designer's perspective and i think that's that kind of like invisible chasm that's really hard for people to understand if you don't have the direct experience as a designer doing design day to day and i must say again just to reiterate like where i saw a clear difference in your thinking versus other designers was you have a nice balance between having a business mind and a designer mind and, and making sure that whatever you're designing is matching the, the needs and the business and the goals of the business, not just trying to make something look pretty for the sake of making it look pretty. I mean, again, I think that's also where there's a common misconception of the role of design. Like, you know, I went to design school. I went to UCLA, studied the design media arts program. They have like a great, a multidisciplinary program that is, uh, you know, equal parts design hard skills and also more progressive kind of media theory and, you know, even trending into art, I would say. And the reality is when you're in business, design is in service of business. It, art is something else. Like if, if uh, you want to make beautiful screen printed posters, well, unless you're making them for like a band for a concert for a show that still is like a business purpose but for the most part like if you're just if you're just trying to make something pretty then you're making it for yourself and that's i kind of see that as more like art and if you're not going to take a critical look at like you know design a service base you're being hired by a client to help them achieve a measurable measurable result and if you're not designing toward the business then you're not really doing your job as a designer and that's that's something that i've um Kind of discovered over the last decade or so in this industry. So, what kind of stuff are you working on now? Like, um, you know, you helped you helped me with Calvin and the app. Are you still are you still doing that kind of design, or are you shifting your focus and doing more branding for larger companies? Like, what what kind of engagements are you doing 
uh, lately? Um, we have some pretty interesting projects. I mean, I think ultimately, ultimately, if you're a designer today or you, you have a design consultancy and you're working with clients in digital, which I, I can't imagine you, you not, like, it seems like digital is just the, the de facto form of design today. I think it's, it's, my, it's our belief that, you know, design, branding, um, product design, and marketing to some extent, those are all kind of along the same continuum. And if you're not, you know, a lot of these businesses that, um, you know, their product or service exists solely in your hand, it's in a mobile device, like that is the brand. Like the experience that you have um, with that, that app or even like the customer service or all that, all that is, is part of the brand. So I think it's hard to, I mean, while a lot of people, when they think about brand, they think about like the mark, you know, but like the animations of an app, it's part of like a brand. So I think we really t- try to take like a holistic perspective when it comes to design's role in that whole experience. And that's, that's kind of our approach. Now with regards to like, you know, projects since, you know, we're 18 months in business and, you know, it was really easy when we got started to work with early stage companies because those are the, those are the ones that have immediate needs. Like an early stage company that needs to get like a product launch or a feature off the ground. Like they've got, they've got money to spend to solve their problem. And I think those are, that's like low hanging fruit. Um, what we've started to do is, is work more with established businesses now. Um, and that's been a really interesting process because they want to start thinking more. And I'm sure you've seen this when you guys have done your, um, like, you know, going into companies and doing like productivity assessments, like they want to start thinking more like startups, but it's a much slower sales cycle to help to bring that like thinking into the company. So, um, we have some pretty interesting innovation projects that we're working on right now. I can't really, one is, is with a fortune 20 company. Um, and, uh, and actually it's an interesting collaboration between one of our existing clients of this company called Wherefore. you guys should check them out. It's a really interesting, um, travel oriented consumer B2C application. So it's a, it's a collaboration between a, a very, very large fortune 20 company and, um, and wherefore, and we're, we're integral to the product innovation and it's, it's a pilot initiative, but I'm hoping that it, um, assuming it's successful, it'll, it'll roll out across the, the company worldwide. Very cool. Yeah, and, and you mentioned product design, but have you done physical product design too? No, I mean, I don't have an industrial design background. You know, there's only, there's only, yeah, 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 of course, I'm just curious. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Now, and then as far as like what you, so you have your partner, do what, what is your, do you have another, do you have a bigger team than that? Or is it just you and your partner? So, you know, I think one of the hardest things about, well, I'm sure you guys kind of understand this from a consulting perspective is when you, until the machine is really running, you know, you're kind of, you're, you're working client to client and, you know, we've been blessed over the last like six months to build some longer term relationships with our clients. Um, so right now as a company, you know, we're really just operating two, for two reasons. One, from a cost perspective, we're working primarily with contract labor. Um, because it allows us to be, you know, our projects scale up and scale down really quickly. So, um, we have very specific needs. We need someone who can do UX. We need someone who can do strategy. We need someone who can do ethnographic interviews. So the work is that kind of very tactical work. It it benefits us to have, um, contract labor. Um, and then additionally, it, it's really, you know, there's a lot of like, institutions that are pumping out a lot of quote unquote designers, but to be honest, it's really hard to find good designers and not every designer is around the corner from you or wants to commute to your office. So, 
Um, just from like a practical perspective, you know, we've been sourcing uh, sourcing talent from, I mean, right now it's, it's strictly in the United States, but it's not all in Los Angeles. And so I'd rather work with the best people that I could find, even if they're not on site. Um, so then, you know, that's, that again is like why we're, you know, using mostly contractors as well. Where, where do you find, uh, like abroad right now, where's the place to look if you're looking to hire like a good value designer to, to help you with like, um, make your website look prettier? Like where, where would you look? Well, I mean, I think that's a tricky question. So, uh, you know, I think if you go on Dribble, you're going to be kind of wowed by a lot of, there's a lot of design polish on Dribble, right? It's like a, it's a, and Behance to some extent, you know, it's a great place to go and like look at what designers are producing. And uh, I think, and this, this is actually takes us back to the very first topic of this, of this podcast where you were saying, you know, it's really easy to like waste a lot of time, spend a lot of money designing something really nice. So I think there's a lot of really good, really strong talent. If you look in Eastern Europe, there's like a lot of, um, I think Poland has some strong designers, Germany, um, Czech Republic. Um, there's a company actually like a, a dev shop. I think Nick, you know about these guys, STRV. Um, they have some really talented developers and designers. Again, the quality of the design is only going to be as good as the thinking that you put behind it. And I think that requires, if you're just going to hire like a designer, like a freelance designer, you better know how to manage a freelance designer. Otherwise you're just going to be going around in circles. And, yeah. but I, you know, I used STRV and they, they, it looked good but it was only as good as the direction I gave them, which was a waste of money. So. <laughs> right. And that's, you know, you can't, you can't blame, uh, no, you can't blame it. Blame his job is to execute, you know, and that's, you know, I think they do. I mean, I know their CEO, David Semerad, he lives over here in Venice. He's a great guy. And I think their company is really great, but I think the problem that, and this is, this is a problem that a lot of early first time entrepreneurs face is, Hey, I want to build this app. Hey, I have this idea and I've made five wireframes and now I'm ready to go. And no, you're not ready to go. But, you know, that's, uh, unfortunately, that's a lesson that a lot of people have to learn the hard way. Yeah, definitely. Um, actually, I was just thinking of it. Ari, you guys have something in common. Uh, you both do. So JJ and I know each other for a long time because we both did swam on the, same, on the Team LA for the Maccabee Games and then we were on high school team together. Um, were we ca both captains at the same time? Or something. I know, you were ahead of me, but we were. Yeah, I think yeah, you would we do were, the sprints. I would be stuck doing the distance events. <laughs> yeah, we we were both we were both. Um, yeah, we did opposite events in high school, but uh, we 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 swam for a long time. But he, uh, JJ got into triathlons, and Ari did uh, a triathlon. Are you still doing triathlons, JJ? No, that that career is uh, is long behind me. Actually, I know I I said you, Ari, you did Ironman France, right? That was yeah. like what you completed. Yes. Did you do an yeah, Ironman, no. JJ? No, no. I was strictly like Olympic distance, you know, that two-hour range triathlon. Where, you know, oh. it's, what was your I best time in an Olympic triathlon? Uh, it was it, – I think it was in the 210s or something. Like it was – or like low – like somewhere between two minutes and 210. I mean, you know, the courses vary so much. Um, you know, that's it's those types of races – and that was why I liked doing – Olympic distance is it's more it's less about like a PR and it's much more about a competition like that when you're when the race is so fast it's it's a race you know and that's that was really more important to, you know I'm a very competitive person so I'd, I'd much rather compete for place than time 
Well, and that's actually, that's one of the things that I always found so ridiculous about Iron Man is that like, the, I mean, I have friends who've done it multiple times and they're not pros. They're, they're just someone multiple times. And to me, it's like, <laughs> you're never, ever, ever going to win or come in the top 50 or the top hundred. Like, why do you keep going through this yourself? Like, just do it, get your time and then move on to something else. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, but with Olympic, you totally can like actually place. Well, I mean, I think, and I'm sure you guys have dealt with this. I mean, this is like kind of, it's almost like a productivity question. You know, it's like, how do you get people to like work out, right? You know, how, how do you get people to like commit to something? And I think uh, triathlon or some kind of like um, something where there isn't a clear like completion thing, people can always like work out. They can always work towards something. They can always like work towards some greater goal. So I think, you know, that is a great way for people to stay motivated to working like to keep working out but i yeah I, I do agree it does seem like a a little bit of a fool's errand to just kind of train forever <laughs> yeah yeah so we're almost out of time here so the last question that we always like to ask jj is what are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective and uh, you can interpret that however you like be more effective okay i think for me the number one is to really know what your priorities are i think it's really easy to make a giant to-do list or uh, or not even conversely, just kind of constantly react to things um, and not not have any clear idea of why you're doing what you're doing. So I think being effective, first thing is like having having priorities uh, and really kind of have them clearly clearly understood. Second thing I think is having a plan. Uh, you know, to be effective, I think you need to like you need to know what you're doing and. And the, I think the, the, third, the third part kind of goes alongside of number two is you need to, even with having a plan, you need to be okay with things going wrong. <laughs> and that's something that I deal with. You know, I think a lot of businesses and a lot of my clients deal with all the time is that, you know, we had a plan, something went off track. It's what you do when things go off track. So it's, I think it's really easy to get stuck and get bad shape about things going wrong. But I, I think, how you handle that is is the way that you can definitely be more effective and pick yourself up from from that. And that's I think those are like that's kind of like the three those are my three guiding guiding principles for uh, I guess to be more effective. Awesome, that's that's really good. So if people want to learn more about you or get in touch, um, where should they go? So they can go to highpressure.zone or highpressurezone.com. We got a cool top level domain. Um, or you can drop me an email, uh, JJ at hpz.us. And, uh, yeah, love to, love to talk. Awesome. Thanks for, thanks for your time, JJ. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Cool. Thanks, thanks, Nick. Thanks. Sorry.